And thank you for filling in this morning. Thank you all for worshiping with us uh, in person and online. We are in the middle of a message series that we are calling, what are we calling it? Renovations. And in this message series, we are renovating our thinking, our mentality, the way that we think about church. And so we've been going through this series. As I said, this is week four. If you take a look at the back of your bulletin, you can see where we've been and where we are going. And so far in this series, we've talked about what church is and what church isn't. Okay, it's very important to understand what church isn't. And that's how we started out. Church isn't a building. Church isn't an event. And church certainly isn't a club for Christians. It's not that at all. And when we look at what Jesus has to say about church, and when we look at the New Testament, how the church developed, we realize that church is a movement. Church is the movement of Jesus Christ in this world, and through this movement, we find hope. I've said this before, I said it last week, that the church is the hope of this world, because through the church, we are the ones, we bring the message of salvation, we are the ones that bring the message of purpose to people in our lives, in our community, and without the church, there is no hope. And so church is the hope of this world. Church is a movement. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's not a club. It is a movement. Then we talked about the local church. You've got the big church and you've got a local church. And a local church should be an authentic community, an authentic Christian community where people can take off their polite masks and be themselves and share their weaknesses and share their trials and share their struggles and share their pain. And that's difficult to get to. It really is. There are things that we like to keep in those dark corners, but in a a genuine church, in an authentic Christian community, we should be able to feel safe enough to start bringing out some of those things that we keep in the dark corners. Last week, we talked about our church specifically, that we have a specific vision statement. We have as one local church among many, many, many. We have one specific vision to fulfill, one purpose to fulfill as one local church, part of this larger global mission church. And our vision statement is there in your bulletin. Take a look at that, if you would. First page of your bulletin, front up cover of the bulletin there. It says, engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. You've got the whole thing printed there. In fact, I'd love if we could say that together. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. See, I used to be a children's pastor when we do this kind of stuff, just to make sure everybody's tuned in and paying attention. But that's who we are. We are engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. Now, last week I had to make one of those awkward points, right? And every once in a while, in fact, I think it's pretty often in this church, every once in a while I have to make an awkward point. And I did say, listen, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're worshiping with us and, and you're saved and you love Jesus and you know Jesus and you see that vision statement engaging in the mission of God and it doesn't connect with you, you need to know that that's okay. It doesn't have to connect with you. It doesn't have to resonate with you, Right? And so last week, I encouraged you to think about that and kind of really wrestle with that. And I challenged you to think about, does that, is that what you are called to? Because you know that not every Christian is called to this specific vision, and that's okay, right? And not every single local church has this specific vision and this specific mission, and that's okay. And so after the service last week, somebody said to me, how many people do you think we lost because of this message? Oh, we'll find out. Time will tell, right? But here's, here's the thing that you need to know about church. Did you realize that you can leave a church on good terms? Did you know that? I mean, for some Christians, that's a revelation right there. I thought, well, Christians only left churches when they were angry or discontent or somebody got into a fight and my feelings were hurt and I'm leaving. No, you, you can leave like on good terms. So you know what? This vision statement, you know, you send me your emails. Josh, thanks so much for this series. We thought about this vision. I don't think this is for us, but we're going to go find somewhere else to go. Hey, that's great. 
you can leave a local church on good terms with blessing and support because we don't want you to spend your entire Christian existence trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? You don't want to do that. We don't want that for you. It doesn't, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the way to live out your faith. It's not the way to live out your calling. We want you to be connected where God has called you to be. That's so important, Okay? And so I know maybe this is, well, I suspect this is not a point you want me to belabor, but it's, it's important to know that you don't have to connect with this. You can find a different place to connect. But this, is, but this is who we are. We are engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. We are engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. That's who we are as a church. That's our goal. Last week we talked about the fact that we can get much more specific about that. I mean, we're right here in the ridley Edinburgh area. There are 60,000 people, give or take, you know, a few thousand in this area, and a whole lot of them are lost. Lost as in don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. And so that is who we are here for. Week one of this message series, I mentioned the fact that I grew up in a church setting, and so I was churched, right? That's the terminology that's sometimes used. I was a churched kid, and then as a young adult, I left the church. So I went from being churched to becoming de-churched. That's another term we use. And so many people in our community are either churched or de-churched or unchurched. Just think about the people that you know, the people that you interact with. Some of them are churched people, right? As in they went to a church and still go to a church and belong to a church. They belong to a local Christian community. Some of them are de-churched, as in they used to do that thing when they were a kid, when their parents forced them, but when they grew up, they decided this isn't relevant, this is for me, so they become de-churched, right? A lot of people in our area, a lot of people in your life are in that category of de-churched, and then you have the unchurched. We've got a lot of those too. People that have no real personal connection to a church, never belonged to a church growing up, so you've got the church, the de-churched, the unchurched. But there are some other categories that I thought we should address before we move on. Right, because not every Christian, not every person falls into one of those categories, right? So you've got what I what did I say? We've got the church, you've got the de church, you've got the unchurched, and then you have some other phenomena that takes place with Christians as they relate to church. You also have what you might call church hoppers, right? They kind of hop from church to church to church to church, never really digging into that community, just kind of staying at some place for a while until they get fed up with the preaching or whatever it is, and then they move on to somewhere else, and then they get fed up with what's going on, then they keep moving and moving and moving and moving. So church hoppers never really dig into community, just kind of hop around from church to church. And maybe you know somebody like that, or maybe you've been that way in your past. That's just the thing that exists in the life of a church, in the life of, of how people relate to church. But church hoppers are not to be confused with church boppers, right? You know about church boppers? You know about church boppers. I see that smile at church boppers. Church boppers belong to one, two, three, maybe even four churches, right? So not really committed to any one church. It can just kind of do the church bop. You know the church bop? Oh, I want to bop over here. I want to bop over there, right? I minored in dance. Is it paying off? No, right? You're doing a bop, 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 right? And so it's, it's kind of like that guy in his early 20s that doesn't want to commit, right? He's like, I'm just playing the field. I like to date around. You know what I mean, right? Well, it doesn't work. It's not healthy, right? And it's a short lifespan living it that way. But some people do the church hop, some people do the church bop. And then you have this other phenomenon that takes place in the life of a local church. You've got the perpetually discontent church member, right? The perpetual... Some of you are smiling over this. You know about this phenomenon, don't you? I thought I was going to share with you something new that you didn't know about. It looks like a lot of you know about this. The perpetually discontent church member. Now, I'm not talking about the member of a church that every once in a while is critical or criticizes. or No, I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about the church member that never has anything positive to say about their own church, right? That's always complaining and always grumbling. Grumble, grumble, grumble. That's a fun word. Always complaining, always grumbling, kind of gossiping, right? Talking negatively about their own church. That's the person that should have left their church a long time ago, but they wouldn't. So instead of leaving, they just stay there and complain and complain and complain about how awful it is. Like, what is going on here? Just leave, right? So before we started Hope Community Church, uh, there's a guy I know in this community. And, uh, you know, listen, we don't want to categorize people we don't because that feels judgmental and all that. But if I had to put him in a category, he was one of these guys, a perpetually discontent church member. And so he talked to me and dissatisfied with the church, dissatisfied with the programming, dissatisfied with the preaching. Now, this preacher is so boring, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so, um, you know, he's a believer. I'm a believer. We talk church stuff. And he, he really never had anything positive to say about his own church. And so I told him about hope. You know, we're about to start hope, and this is what we're going to do, and here's our vision. He's like, that sounds great. And he was so enthusiastic and so encouraging and so affirming. And so we start out, and, you know, he doesn't show up. And I think, well, he's going to come visit us one of these weeks, right? And so time goes along, and I see him again. And he's, again, he's complaining about his church. And I'm telling him about Hope Community Church. And, like, here's what's going on. And, And, again, he's just so affirming about hope and so negative about his own church. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why haven't you left there to try us out? It doesn't make sense to me. If you're so discontent... If you're perpetually discontent and complaining and negative, 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 then come on, and you're saying all this wonderful stuff about us, then leave that and come on over with us. Doesn't that make sense? And so we're about two months old as a church, and I meet with uh, one of my mentors, and I'm sharing this situation. I'm like, I don't get it. It's like perpetually discontent, always complaining, all the saying, all this good stuff about our church. Why hasn't he come over yet? And my mentor says to me, do you really want that guy in your congregation took about a millisecond to answer that. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, I don't. And I should have known better than that. I should have known because I was fresh out of seminary, just finished my seminary work when we started Hope Community Church. And that's one of the things that I was taught. I don't know if all seminaries teach this or not, right? But it's one of the things that I was taught in seminary is to watch out for those perpetually discontent church members. Watch out for those people who walk into your worship services who want to get your ear and they want to tell you their sad story. They want to complain about their last church. They want to gossip about their last pastor. Watch out for that because it's only a matter of time before they do the same thing to you and your church. So I knew that. I knew that. But you see, in the pride of my heart, in my arrogance, I thought, well, we're going to be the exception. Someone's going to be discontent there and then they're going to bop over to us and then they're going to be happy. But no, you know what? Listen, I do believe people can change. And I believe that Jesus is in the business of changing lives, but it's arrogant for me, and it's prideful for me to to think that I'm going to be the one to create that change. No, Jesus has to do that. Jesus is the one that changes our hearts. Now, truth be told, I mean, I saw a lot of smiles, smiling through the mask here as I'm talking about these perpetually discontent people, because I think that most of us, if not all of us, have had encounters with people like that. The perpetually discontent church members. And all of us, just about all of us, have had to sit on the other side of that conversation, hearing those complaints, hearing that criticism, hearing that gossip. And you know how it is. Well, I'm not trying to say anything gossipy, but, you know what I mean? That thing, we're all kind of guilty of that, right? From time to time. I don't want to complain, but, that kind of thing. So we've all heard that. Most of us, I think that's a, a universal experience. We've heard people criticizing their churches to us. And here's the, here's the reality is that most of us, if, if not all of us, have been on the other side of that conversation as well. We've been the complainers. We've been the criticizers. We've been the gossips. I know, I know I'm guilty of that. I know I am. 
previous church experiences, that, that's been me. So that is a real phenomenon. You see that happen. Different ways that people relate to their churches. Different kind of the complicated relationships that Christians have with their churches. You see these different dynamics play out in the life of a local church. And there are some churches in this area that are really designed intentionally as a refuge for discontent Christians. You didn't like the preaching there? We've got better preaching here, right? You didn't like the music there? We've got better stuff here. There are churches that are intentionally designed. We're going to be the haven for discontent Christians. We're going to minister to those discontent Christians. Well, we're not. Listen, those churches are great. I don't have anything negative to say about churches like that. I, I mean, I, I can't think of anything wrong with that. It sounds great. But we're not that. <laughs> we don't exist for the sake of discontent Christians. I mean, what does the bulletin say? Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of discontent Christians. No, engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. That's who we are, and this is why. Take a look at the Scripture passage. This is why we are who we are. This is why we do what we do. This is why we have the vision statement that we have. Take a look. This is, for those of you who spend enough time in a church setting, this is a much-beloved parable that Jesus tells. I want to give you a little bit of context here. And so Jesus, he often speaks in these parables. He makes his point through a story. Jesus was an excellent storyteller. And so here's the setup. Jesus is not behaving the way that the religious establishment wants him to behave. He has come into this world making these kind of maybe clandestine claims about possibly being the Messiah. Okay, what's going on here? But he's not doing what they expected the Messiah to do. What did they expect from him? Well, they thought, well, if this guy's the Messiah, he's going to come to the Pharisees, he's going to come to us, the Pharisees, and he's got to prove himself to us. And instead, Jesus enters into this world, and he spends about 0% of his time proving himself to anybody, because that's not why he came into this world. And so instead of trying to prove himself and validate himself to the Pharisees, he spends his time with the people that need a Savior, right? And so the religious establishment, specifically the Pharisees, to some degree the Sadducees, the priests, and the scribes, they take issue with the way that Jesus is conducting his ministry. Jesus, why? Why are you spending your time with sinners? That's a fun term that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of the life of Jesus. Why are you spending your time with sinners? When you see that word sinners appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that term specifically refers to people that were Jewish by their ethnicity, but they were not worshiping their God, okay? They've given up on trying to follow the religion of their people, okay? Says, why, Jesus, why are you spending your time with these sinners? You're not just spending time with them. You're associating with them. You're sitting at a table with them. You're eating with sinners. Jesus, you're eating with tax collectors, with people who have betrayed us. You're eating with the enemy, right? It's worse than eating with the enemy. It's a betrayer. You're eating with, with a Jewish person who has betrayed their own people for the sake of making some money and giving that money to Rome. It's insane. Jesus, why are you doing this? They took issue with that. Again, they were expecting the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, you've got to come prove yourself to us. And Jesus says, I've got to prove myself to anybody, right? Of course, he didn't actually say that. He was more polite than that. But he, he didn't. That wasn't his mission. It wasn't to prove himself. And so he spends his time with those that needed him. And in fact, Jesus even says at one point, he's like, guys, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. 
but the sick. Like, oh, yeah, good point, good point. And so here's the setup for this parable. Jesus as, is talking to a mixed audience. He's got some what we might call sinners in that group, some tax collectors, but then he also had some Pharisees there as well. And so people who are, quote, righteous, or at least they thought they were righteous, and then you have sinners there. So he's talking to a mixed group, and he's basically explaining his own ministry to them. And here's what he says. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, don't miss what Jesus is about to do here because he does something that I think is a little bit tricky. He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And so the way, and I'm not sure if we're losing a little bit of something in the translation, but the way that Jesus sets up this question, it's if he's asking for a yes, right? He's asking for a yes, right? You know what that's like. I mean, I do that to you all the time. I set you up for an answer like, I want you to tell me something, and you know what I want you to tell me, so you just tell me what I want to hear, right? And so I feel like, I'm not sure, maybe we're losing something in the translation again, but I feel like Jesus is setting people up to say, well, yes, of course. But think about this. Anybody, show of hands, any shepherds here? One, two, three, four, no, I'm kidding, none. We have no shepherds here. Any shepherds out there in the internet world? Probably not, all right? Not a lot of us know about shepherding, but Jesus may have had some actual shepherds there in his audience and if there were no shepherds there, he at least had people who understood shepherding and how, this whole thing's work, how that whole thing works, okay? And so he says, if you're a shepherd and you have 100 sheep and one gets lost, wouldn't you go and leave the 99 in open wilderness, right, to go find the one that's lost? And the answer to that question is no, no way! It doesn't make any sense. Why, as a shepherd, why would I risk, why would I risk losing the 99 to go seek after one that's lost? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, again, I know you're not shepherds, but think of it this way. Think, what if you had $100 in singles? That'd be inconvenient, but you have $100 in singles, right? And you go out to the church lawn right here, and you've got a little table set up, right? You take out your money, you take out your ones, and you start counting 96, 97, 98, 99. Where's that last dollar bill? Oh, man, I lost a dollar. Would you leave $99 right here and go seek after the one that's lost? Would you? Yeah. <laughs> See, I just did it. <laughs> that's the answer I wanted to hear. Because what's going to happen to the 99 while you're looking for the one that's lost? What does Jesus say? Wouldn't you leave them in open wilderness? No. No, it's completely counter. Why would I risk? Why would I risk it? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's what a good shepherd would do. <clears throat> All right, so doesn't he leave the 99 in open country? We wouldn't, but apparently Jesus wouldn't. Go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. It's counterintuitive, but if you step back and think about it, what Jesus says, okay, moving away from the literal and applying it as a metaphor, understanding what the metaphor means, understanding what this figurative story tells us, it makes perfect sense. And so there's so many things that Jesus said that make more sense to us 
now than they did to his original audience. It's so wonderful that Jesus speaks these words, and they're, they're even more relevant to us than they were to his original audience. And so, what happened? Jesus gives this parable, and then uh, is crucified, is resurrected, ascends into heaven. The church is starting out, right? Church is going on decade after decade, century after century. Churches grow, and this kind of thing happens eventually, right? And you get a situation where you've got a, a pastor or maybe multiple pastor, and by, that word past, that, by the way, that word pastor is synonymous with shepherd or overseer, right? They're all interchangeable. You see those words used interchangeably in the New Testament, right? And so you've got churches that develop, local churches, with a pastor or multiple pastors and multiple leaders, right? And so people start coming out to those churches, and they become an authentic Christian community, right? And what happens over time is that people, listen, people like me start focusing their ministry on the people that are there, the people that are showing up. In other words, what's happened over the centuries, and listen, we have pure intentions, but what's happened over the centuries is that people like me started dedicating their ministry to the 99 that were saved instead of focusing on the lost. And that's, that, I mean, that's the story of so many local churches, that as time goes on, because listen, it's a lot easier to meet the needs of the people that are showing up, even though, listen, they're already saved. Shouldn't we be focused on the ones who aren't saved and not the 99 that are saved? Shouldn't that be our focus? Yeah, but the 99 are saved. They got problems, and they bring me their problems, and aren't I supposed to take care of them, right? And so that's why so many churches start to gear, and it's not just a pastor thing, but so many churches start to gear their ministry, their programming, the stuff that they do toward the 99 that are already saved. It takes incredible intentionality to say, no, we're not going to be that church. We're not going to exist for the sake of the 99. We're not going to exist for the sake of the saved. We're not going to exist for the sake of the Christians. We are going to exist for the sake of the lost. Do you hear what I'm saying? As a church, as a church, we don't exist for the sake of Christians. Do you want to push back against that? Like, isn't that what a church is for? Isn't church for Christians? No. A church is made up of Christians. What about all this community stuff? Isn't a church supposed to be a Christian community? Yeah, it's a Christian community, but we don't ex exist for the sake, not for the sake of the Christians. We exist for the sake of the one that is lost. And so my story with Hope Community Church, I mean, this is something that I, that as the shepherd, the overseer, the pastor, I need to be very intentional and vigilant about that my priority is the ones that are lost and not the ones that are saved. Isn't that, isn't that how it should be for all of us? Shouldn't the priority be on the ones that are lost, not the ones that are saved? Our first anniversary as a church, we were over at the Barnstormers Theater. Remember the Barnstormers Theater? I remember, yeah, good times. So we're over at the Barnstormers Theater, first anniversary as a church, and uh, some people stood up and sharing their stories about Hope, Community Church, and how they got connected, and we're celebrating, right? It was a day of celebration, and we had a cake and all that, right? So people are sharing their stories, and we got some enthusiasm going, and I stand up, and I preach on this parable, and I tell the Christians in the room, I say, hey, Christians, by the way, just so you know, you aren't my priority. And everybody said, all right, let's keep this party going. That sounds great. <laughs> but this is the reality. You, those of you who are saved... You don't want to be my priority. You don't. 
And so this is work that I have to do, to be vigilant as the pastor to make sure that the saved, the 99 are not my priority. I need to be like this weird shepherd here, this weird, wonderful shepherd that leaves the 99 behind and prioritizes the one that is lost. That's my responsibility. What's yours? Those of you who are at a point right now where you consider yourself a member of this church, what's your responsibility? Hey, this vision statement, it's one thing. It's just a bunch of words, though, if we don't live it out. Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. I've got my job. What's yours? What can you do to actively engage in the mission of God for the sake of the lost? What can you do to prioritize the ones in your life that are lost over the ones in your life that are saved? What can you do? I'm going to give you a couple ideas. I'm going to start with something not to do, okay? We'll start with what not to do, and then we'll talk about what you can do, all right? Let's start with what not to do, all right? You ready for this? You taking your notes? You got it ready? Okay. Here's something. If you want to engage in the mission of God for the sake of the lost, here's something you should not do, okay? Don't invite your Christian friends to Hope Community Church. Did you get that? Don't invite your Christian friends to Hope Community Church. Well, yeah, but I've done that in the past. Okay, the past is in the past. The past is in the past. And we as a church, we are at a turning point. Do you sense that? Is it just me? Do you sense that? We are at a turning point. You know, before all this pandemic thing, back in those theater days, I talked about this leap that we were about to take. We are about to take this leap forward. We are about to take this leap in faith. Do you remember? Anybody remember that? I, I vaguely remember it, and I preach it, so I don't fault you for not remembering. This leap that we are about to take. And then the pandemic happened, and everything just kind of got paused, right? And so I feel like, I feel like we jumped up in the air to take this leap, and we've just been suspended for all this time. And I'm just waiting to land. We're at this turning point. So stop. Stop inviting Christians to Hope Community Church. Just don't do it. Because it's not fair. It's not fair. Listen, the vast majority of churches, local churches in Delaware County and beyond, exist for the sake of the Christians. So let your Christian friends go to one of those churches. Isn't that fair? There's so few. There's so few churches that exist for the sake of the lost. And we don't want to fill them up with a bunch of Christian people. What's the point of that? right? And so don't do that anymore, right? And I've done it too. I think a lot of us have done that very thing because you think, well, I'm a Christian. This person's a Christian. They don't have a church. They're discontinued. Let me invite this person too much. Stop. We're going to stop. We're going to stop doing that because it's just not fair. Let your Christian friends, okay, let them go to any other church, right? There are plenty of other options for them. They have so many options, let them go and connect and be a part of a community someplace else. And don't you go, well, what about the Christians that belong here? They'll find, don't you worry about that. They'll find us. Don't you worry about that. You let God handle that. Don't invite Christians to connect with Hope Community Church. Got it? All right. There is one exception. There is one exception, and I'm hesitant to mention it because I'm afraid that you might take advantage of it. One exception to that. Don't invite your Christian friends to Hope Community Church unless, unless they are ready to engage in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. That's it. That's the exception. 
You got a Christian friend in your life and they're just waiting for an opportunity. They're just looking for a church to connect with that's going to help them reach the lost people in their lives. Okay, there you go. Then, then, you, then permission granted. You can invite those Christians. But that's our only exception, okay? All right, so that's what's not to do, okay? Let's move on to what to actually do, right? Let's move on from that. So don't invite your Christian friends. Here's what you can do, right? You're going to be a part of a church that's engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. Here's what you can do. Identify the lost people in your life. Identify the lost people. Just identify them. Just go through, who do I know? Who do I know? Okay. You know what? Let's make it more specific. Let's make it more specific. Identify your lost loved ones, the people you love the most that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Identify those people. Chances are you've got them in your life. I do. It's not like everybody I know and all my family members are saved. No, I've got lost people in my life that I love identify the lost people in your life and pray for them, okay? Now, you might feel like, well, that's simple. Anybody, I'm just going to identify and saying prayers. It's easy. Hang on, hang on, hang on. When you're identifying the lost, that is something that can be very difficult to do, especially when it's a loved one because we want to embrace denial when it comes to our loved ones, and we want to think, well, you know, I don't know, about, I don't know about my spouse, I don't know about my son, I don't know about my daughter, I don't know about my mom or dad. But I'm just going to kind of assume that they know Jesus as Savior, and I'm not going to talk about it because because we don't want to think about our loved ones going to hell. We don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. And so, so often we Christians we choose to embrace denial when it comes to this. I don't want to think about. I don't want to think about the people I love. I don't want to think about their damnation. To identify your lost loved ones takes incredible courage to step out of denial and into the truth. Only after stepping out of denial can you do something about it. Can you actively engage in the mission of God for the sake of your lost loved one? We have in this congregation some incredibly brave mothers and fathers who are willing to do this difficult work of identifying the fact that they have lost children. You know how tough that is for a parent? You are our heroes because so many Christian parents won't go there. I don't want to think about my son like that. I don't want to think about my daughter like that. Listen, if you've been willing to identify your lost loved ones, that's, that's huge right there. Identify the lost loved ones, the lost people in your life, and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray over them. I'm trying to wrap it up, Ella. We'll be done soon. Identify and pray for the lost people in your life, especially those loved ones. Just, just do that much. Doing that much is huge. Now, beyond identifying, beyond prayer, is there more you can do? Of course there is. Look for ways to honor, look for ways to serve, look for ways to help. You've got a lost person in your life. Well, how, what can you do to support them? Well, how are they struggling? How can you meet a need in their life? All these things are important. Yes. The lost people in your life, should you invite them to church? Sure, sure. That's something you can do too. Absolutely, Sure. In fact, as we move into the spring, we're going to do a new message series that's really geared at it being an opportunity for you to connect and bring your lost loved ones, your lost family members, your lost neighbors to this space to hear about Jesus, right? There's lots of things that you can do. Invite them to church and, and serve them and all that kind of stuff, but it starts, you can't do any of that unless you start by identifying who are the lost people in your life and then pray for them, right? This is who we are as a church, Listen, it's not like we don't love your Christian friends. We would love them if we met them, but, but we're not here for your Christian friends. 
We're not here for your Christian friends that are dissatisfied at their current church, right? And we're not here for your saved friends that are just doing the church bop or the church hop thing. We're not here for them. We love them. That's great. Nothing against them. But that's not who we're here for. We are here for your lost friends, for your lost family members, for the people in your life that don't yet know about Jesus Christ for the people in your life that have not yet accepted salvation in Jesus Christ. They need us. They need a church. And we are their church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to be our Savior. And Father God, um, We are so often challenged by you. Father, we want to live into our calling. We want to be the church that you have created us and called us to be. And so, Father, give us the courage to to engage in this difficult task and identify the lost people in our lives and to pray for them. Father God, we pray that your gospel would be spread throughout this community. We've got 60,000 neighbors, Jesus, and so many of them don't know you as Savior. And we just want to see gospel saturation right here in Ridley and Interborough so that every one of our 60,000 neighbors would have multiple opportunities to experience your gospel and receive salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.